All right, so the silver chair to me is one of the best ones that there is. It's too bad that they didn't do a modern movie. They stopped short of it. They did do the other movie, the British movie that we have watched, but uh, the ones that they've recently done, um, it certainly is worthy of doing it. We're building up to something within the book, okay? The idea of this character that we haven't really met yet, but we, we're going to talk about, talked about a little bit last week, um, it's kind of wrapped all around this one character, and yet, the, the storyline itself, and yet, it is his friends that are required to help him, okay? So the main character really is Rillian, but we don't get there for a very long time. And so it appears that Eustace and Jill uh, are the main characters, and they are certainly main characters in the book, but the main uh, focus of what is really the struggle of the book is wrapped around Rillian, okay? It's kind of all about him and what he's going through, but you only touch on little bits and pieces. So let's go back to the beginning just as a refresher. Uh, we got their Bible. Go grab your Bible, please. We start out with Eustace and Jill Pole, all right? Eustace and Jill Cole, and we've talked about Eustace, uh, how he was changed in the past, how he became a dragon, he scratched off his scales, Aslan did that. He tried to scratch them off himself, but he couldn't. When Aslan went and did it, he said it was deep and it cut, but it was a good pain, okay? So Eustace goes and becomes that dragon, and then he really, what it symbolizes, he realizes who he is, okay? He is, his personality is a dragon. He is nasty and fire-breathing. He is not looking out for other people. He is greedy and unthoughtful towards everyone else. The fact that he actually physically becomes one in Narnia just is really the representation of what's happening. And, and so you understand the world that we start in, our world, okay, our world that we start in here, and the world of Narnia, as these characters translate back and forth between, they do it seemingly without any mode of transportation. They do it when they call on the name of Aslan, okay? They do it without time passing, sometimes in that world, or sometimes it's hundreds of years passing. But yet in this world, not a second passes and they're back where they were. So this is the unique thing about Narnia, is time continues, all right? And it sometimes can pass ages, we'll say, ages pass. So what is this, Narnia? How, what does this translate to for us, if we're looking at this book? What is Narnia? As an analogy. It's the spiritual world. Okay, it's the spiritual world. And how is the spiritual world where ages pass and yet not a second passes in the physical real world? This is an interesting thought. How old do you have to be to be a mature Christian? Um, any age. Okay, so it's not our age that matters. So what does matter? To really be a mature Christian, what matters? 
Okay, so the fact that you spent time in the spiritual realm, that's what matters. You can spend all your life in your physical realm, and if you haven't taken the time to pass into Narnia, okay, each of these kids, every time they go and they have experience in Narnia, they come back at the very same situation that they're at, but they are different. And that is why the spiritual realm is so unique. Because as we have encounters with God, okay, they go and they encounter Aslan. And they go through these worlds and these adventures and all these things that happen. And they're flying on owls and they're breathing the air. Meanwhile, becoming stronger and skilled and unique. They're becoming who they want to be. They're learning about forgiveness and kindness and all these things. In all of this time, even growing up in this world, and pop back in their young again, right, right where they were in the physical world, you will find that your physical life will pass moment by moment. There is no one who does not have 60 seconds in every minute in this world. 60 minutes in every hour, 24 hours in every day. Everybody's life consists of the same clock that runs it. Oh yes, some are shorter than others, and I understand that's not really what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is the quality of your relationship with God does not depend on what you do here, but how much time you spend here in the spiritual realm. It is important. So, when Eustace is flying around on the birds, and all of a sudden, he starts doing things, remembering and feeling different, right? Breathing the air. He says, it just feels good. It makes me feel better here. Why? Because it is healthy. More healthy than the world he came from. And I don't mean physically. He's not breathing in physical air. But it is something that makes him stronger and better just to be there. So the presence of God, as you spend time in the presence of God, through the Spirit, through your prayers, through learning, through growing, through reading, through taking something like this and understanding things, as you begin to spend time over your life, then you got to go back to work and you got to go back to school and you kind of like, Ugh, what was that? Or, what did I even learn about last night? And then you come up against some situation. The idea is that the spiritual realm has changed you enough, that the Spirit of God has changed you enough that when you go back to that situation, you don't face it the same way you did before. You are changed. And that's the point of these transfers in any of the books in Narnia. Whatever kids they are, whichever ones, whatever they do, they go there and they are to learn these lessons and they are to come back. Okay? So Eustace learned some major lessons when he went there. When he's coming back, he has more to learn. He's not done. Okay? So, here we are. Eustace and Jill, they are in a school, and remember what's in their physical world? They are standing, being mocked. Jill, pole, they're picking on her name, because she looks like a pole, okay? And they're picking on who she is, but remember the school. It was a school of tolerance, right? A school where mankind says we should be tolerant and we should be kind to other people. We should do this because we're very wise in what we do. And what we discovered when we first looked into it was God came up with all the ideas of tolerance and freedom, kindness and love. Man can't claim that. Mankind only has messed it up. So when they say we're going to do this without God, that's just foolish to think that they can all right, so they're, of course, in that moment of decision, and 
Eustace says, let's call on Aslan's name. Because that's the trigger, right? We understand. Not that it's magic, okay? Although it might be described as magic or deep magic in these books. The magic is that it's spiritual. And as we call on Aslan's name, or we call on Christ's name on earth, we say, we realize when we stand in that situation, we need him to get us through. Not ourselves. Because Jill could have said, well, I'm going to fight back, forget it. But instead they said, let's try this. Meanwhile, they're transported into that world, and in such a disappointing way, when they finally come back into their own world, there they are with the very same people that they left. But in a non-disappointing way, they are not the same people. Okay? Because they called on the name of Aslan. So, they end up on a big cliff, right? And Jill is showing off, right? Walking the edge of the cliff, look at me, look at me, look at me. And Eustace says, stop it, get back here. You don't realize what you're doing. She never really looked down. She was just saying, hey, look at me, I'm great. And I'm not gonna do what you tell me to do. Meanwhile, he comes up to try to save her and she gets out of the way and whoop, off over the cliff he goes, okay? Aslan shows up, blows him off. And do you remember what the breath of Aslan stands for? Life, yes, and that is true, but we just did a uh, study oh, the Holy Spirit. on the Holy Spirit, right? And what does the word spirit mean? Wind. Wind. Oh, wow. Imagine that. Maybe there's a little bit of biblical reference in there. Could be. All right. So here is the Holy Spirit, a force, as Land's as uh, breath is a force. And we learned that the Holy Spirit is much more than a force, right? There's a personality, there's depth to him, there is an amazing ability with him. He is life, yes, and he is many other things, okay? But there's a representation there. He's carried on through to Narnia. They are not in Narnia when they translate to this spot. It is only Aslan and the person that is, that's moved to this spot. It is a point of decision. Okay, they stand at a point of decision. And that's why from the cliff, she seems to be at the stream. Because she's got a decision to make. Eustace does not have a decision anymore to make, right? He's already made the decision, so he was getting blown on to Narnia to grow. Jill has not taken to Narnia yet. And so what is, she goes to the stream. Tell me about the stream. What does the stream mean? Eternal life, okay. It's flowing, and she is so thirsty. Right? And you remember their conversation? Aslan's laying there. She doesn't know who he is. She says, can't you go away? No, I'm not going away. Well, can't you promise not to do anything to me? Oh, no, I'm not promising that. Now, what she's thinking is, you are going to devour me and eat me and kill me. Right? Because she's thinking physical world. And lions do that in the physical world. Aslan, if he devours you and eats you in a spiritual way, he is taking your being and making you into something. He won't let you stay the same. All right? He demands that we be different, but not without his full attention and help in our life. And so, Aslan comes out. She finally says, well, I'm going to drink. Well, I'll just find another stream. There's no other stream. This is it. You're going to make a decision now whether you're going to trust me enough to drink in my presence or not. It was that simple and small of a decision. And yet, 
was enough to have a conversation with Aslan and then eventually for her to get blown also to Narnia, okay? So he, she, they're in that point of decision. She is now drunk from the stream of living waters, right? We talked about that, and it became part of her. She also had the extra thing. What did she have to do? Memorize the signs. How often? Say them day and night. And why? What is that like? What does that translate to in our world? Learning the Bible. Memorizing the verses. Getting at it day and night, okay? Spending your time to put them in your head. And you find out the very first thing she's blown to Narnia. And what does she do? Well, she tells him, do this, do this, do this. Don't you know somebody? Because she's right out of that encounter with Aslan. And she knows she needs to do it. And she tells him, she tells him. But Eustace is stubborn. Because Eustace has more lessons to learn too. And they find that they are constantly bickering with one another. And their bickering only holds them back. All right, so they fight. I don't know anybody around here. I don't know anybody. I don't even know where we are. And yet he does know where we are, where they are. He knows Aslan put him in it in Narnia. But there was a, I can't be told what to do. Just like she just had, right? So he's got growth. She's got growth. And now, off sails King Caspian. Off he goes. Not coming back for a long time. Who knows when. Off sails King Caspian. And that was the one person that he knew. That he knew. That was the old and dear friend that he was supposed to meet. And then what does she do? She blames it on him. You wouldn't listen. I tried to tell you what it was. So they bicker. And they bicker. And they bicker. And you will find that as they do that, they miss the point every time, okay? When you spend your time fighting amongst one another, you miss God's point. You oftentimes miss this huge big thing that's right in front of you because you can't get out of, but you're wrong. And that's a struggle that we all have. It's a real struggle, okay? We haven't even gotten to the big struggle of the book, okay? But we, we are looking at these characters as they go. So, on we go, and now we meet Trumpkin. Trumpkin is who? Now, no, it's not. It's, it's the dwarf. The dwarf. Trumpkin is a dwarf, okay? Now, he is significant. The dwarf is significant. What does he, what are his characteristics? Tell me about Trumpkin. We saw him in the movie. If you've ever read the book. Okay, well, right? He, he uses a, a hearing horn, right? He's hard of hearing. Right? And he thinks he hears something else, and then what does he do? How, what does he talk to like? What does he talk to people like? Kind of negative, kind of talks down to them, right? So he talks loud and he talks down to people. He's like, of course I don't do that, you know? Nobody was killed, nobody was, you know? And so it's very difficult to have a conversation with him because he, he can't hear or won't hear, whatever it is, okay? And he won't listen. And then when he talks, he talks down to you. When they leave to go in, and he says, can you stay in the castle? Well, you can stay in the castle. He tells the owl something specific. It's, it's a clue of what he stands for. Give them proper wash, right? They're dirty. 
go wash them before they go wash them. Okay. So here he is. I told you many things in this book, and probably more than we'll even cover, can be translated as an analogy to something in our realm, our physical realm. There's a spiritual realm. We know a few things. He's a dwarf. He does not listen well. He talks down to people. And he thinks people are dirty. There's a word you may or may not have heard that we describe of, describe people as, that we've run into. Anybody know? Anybody got to venture a guess? Well, that's part of it, okay? But there's a word we would call a legalist. <laughs> now, when you know it, it makes lots of sense. So let's talk about what a legalist is, all right? A legalist is somebody who says, I am a Christian, and I know all the rules about being a Christian. So let me tell you about that. Here's what you need to do. You need to get your life cleaned up. You need to go and do this. And here's the rules for how you live. Don't mess them up. All right? Don't mess them up. Get these all right. A legalist is someone who is not a good listener. They do not want to know about why they are wrong or what they may learn because they're not learners. They're not interested in learning. They are people that are only interested in telling you what you've done wrong. They talk down to you. They talk loud because the louder they talk, the less they have to listen. Okay? And they believe that everybody's a little bit dirty because everybody else isn't quite hasn't quite got it all together as they do. Alright? They'll make rules. There were a lot of people back in the 50s and 60s there was a big thing about and you will probably find people today can't play cards. Okay? They are a tool of the devil. Cards. Couldn't go to dances. Back in the 50s and 60s, it was evil, according to many people, about dancing. Could not dance. That was an evil thing to do. Now, where will you find that in a verse in the Bible? Nowhere. In fact, you will find that David danced before God, and there are others who were involved in dance. Now, there are bad dances, too, in the Bible, but there are good dances. It does not say that dancing in and of itself is anything bad or good, okay? But what it does say is that we should take care of ourselves, what we do, what we think, all right? So here's the thing. Is Trumpkin not a real Christian? Not a believer. A person like Trumpkin, a legalist. Not necessarily. He could believe. Maybe he has tendencies to say, you can't do that. That's wrong. In fact, I know a lot of people like that. So why do you think Trumpkin's a dwarf? He never quite grew up as a Christian. Because when you begin to grow up as a Christian, you understand there is grace, there is mercy, there is kindness. That Paul says, now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. He does not talk about dancing or any other things. 
or a set of rules. He says, here's what we're living for, not what we're living to avoid. All right, we're living for the love of Christ. So it's the wrong approach to say, here's the rules, don't break them. All right, it's the wrong approach. In fact, it's stunted in its growth. All right, like Trumpkin, he's not a full-size guy because he can't get out of the mindset of, those people are a little dirty. I don't want to hear it, but I'm going to tell you all the things you did wrong. Very loudly and plainly. All right? So watch that in your life. Be aware, and next time you meet somebody like that, you'll be funny thinking about a little tiny dwarf with a guy in a horn in his ear saying, you know, not really interested in listening, but we're interested in telling you. All right. So we meet Trumpkin, and then from Trumpkin, they take the owls, take them in. They take Eustace and Jill, and they transport them to a parliament of owls, and they tell a story. All right? And the owls represent those people who are keepers of the old ways. Now, before we do that, I want to move on to one more. Uh, I forgot one verse for Trumpkin. I just want you to go to Matthew chapter 23. Because the trap for legalism is this. Matthew chapter 23, verse number 1, 2, 3, and 4, please. Jesus talks about it quite often. The trap for legalism is this. Verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, please. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they find heavy burdens and grievous to be bore and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them, them with one of their fingers. All right. Jesus comes and talks about the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, they're going to tell you a bunch of rules, a bunch of things. And many of them come right from, my, from the word of God. They are good things. The words from the word of God are good things. They have purpose and meaning and function in our life. The problem is, what does he say don't do? Don't be, specifically verse 3, that last part, but do not, don't do what they do, for they say, go do this, but they don't do it. In fact, they don't mind telling you all the things you should do and need to do, and they will lay great heavy burdens on you, make you feel bad because you played with cards or you danced, or you whatever. But if they use that and press and pressure you, he says, and then they watch you bear that burden your whole life, and they do not take one finger and help you lift it. That's not God. God is there helping you bear the burden, right? He says, take my yoke upon you, my burden is easy and light. In other words, I'm going to help you carry this load right along. This is what I do. That's the experience with God, not the experience of I put a bunch of rules on you and watch you stumble and crush underneath it, and I'm not going to help you. That's not what God does, okay? So now we move on to that owl of parliaments, and they talk, or parliament of owls, and they talk about Prince Rillian, all right? The keepers of knowledge, the owls that stand for, it is important within any church to have those people that remember. They remember what really happened. They have very clear understanding. They are good storytellers, and I don't mean just making stuff up, but they're able to tell the story of what 
happened with God. If you watch carefully every time we have a sermon and this topic turns within that sermon to the story about how this church started, something that God did here, some miracle that God did, how it worked out, people begin to listen more intently. They hear that story and they want to know they're sitting here and they want to know how they got here. It is important to have people that can do this in any church, that remember what God did and share that with others. That's what will impact. So you will have things in your life that are impacted by God and it is important to use every one of those things, good or bad, to impact someone else. Even if you made a mistake, use that to find someone in the same mistake and help them. Give them comfort. Give them wisdom. Give them friendship. Remember what it was like to do that. And so the owls tell this story of Prince Rillian. Now Prince Rillian, he is out in the woods with his mother, the queen. The queen, as she lays down for a nap, big green snake comes out. There he is. Bites her in the hand. Kind of looks like a caterpillar now, but anyways, <laughs> it's not. It's a big green nasty snake. Comes and bites her in the hand, slithers away, and Rillian comes up, and yes, she dies. How do you think Rillian feels? Terrible. Terrible. Because he didn't save his mother from the He didn't save his mother. He's angry. What else? What else do you feel when you lose somebody in your life close to you? Sad. Sad. Guilty. Guilty. Empty. Sometimes without purpose. Like, why am I here now? Right? People bring important parts to our life, and especially when somebody close, you begin to say, why am I here? It can be a good question to ask yourself. But if you don't have a real focus and a real answer, it can get you in trouble quick. Things in your life that happen such as losing somebody, or any great tragedy, will open you up at that moment within the next season of your life to great change. The nature of something happening like that will make you change one way or another. The question is, how will you change? That's the question. So you have something happen. You have... Uh, Somebody gets sick. Somebody uh, has to move in at your house. Somebody is going through something tough in their marriage. Some friend passes away. Whatever it is, you then have that chance, that opportunity, because you are fertile ground at that moment. And who knows that you're fertile ground? God. Maybe you know. Think there's anybody else that might be looking? Satan. Maybe Satan. So in our world, if you have those three, God, yourself, if you're aware that you could be vulnerable at this time, and Satan. You watch those things. At that moment, that's what is happening. Okay? Here's where Prince really it is. His mother is lost, dead, can't bring her back. He begins to go out on this quest to try to find this snake, the killer. As he goes out, each day he rides out, and he finds in that place a beautiful lady. And the lady is behind the wood. 
and she comes out a little more, and she's gone. And he becomes, first he notices her, and then he begins to be interested in what she is, who she is, why she's there. And she comes out a little more, and each day when he goes to visit the same spot, she's out more and more and more. Until that's all he can think about is this lady. His friend, Lord Drinian, comes along and says, you go, you, you've got to stop chasing after this. You're not going to change this. And he says, but there's something beautiful out there. I found something beautiful. So Drinian says, well, let me go. Now, Drinian's a good friend. Lord Drinian lives back at the castle, and he's a good friend because he does not want to see Rillian get taken or have anything happen to Rillian. So he takes Rillian out. They go there. The lady pokes her head out and around. And Drinian realizes this isn't good because he is infatuated with this lady. And the lady disappears. And how does Rillian react? Angry. He is mad. You took that beautiful lady away from me. The only thing I had. Does that seem like a right reaction? No. Drinian was trying to help, right? You might be getting into something that might get in trouble. You don't need that. There's a hundred girls back at the castle. We can get you married if that's what you want. No, no, no. He's interested in this because this is intriguing. Intriguing. So, there he was. He was intrigued by this lady. And what happened? Well, one day he rode off and then never came back. And that's why Jill and Eustace are on this, on this quest. Because Aslan sent them. Because he knows Rillian was fertile at that time but he got pulled away, all right? So be aware of the timing of things in your life where you turn away from God and go into something else or you turn towards God and look to his strength. That's where you have to be aware and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push towards God because this will get me better and stronger and purer, put me in a place where I'm not going in a place with Rillian. We will find out what happens with Rillian and it is terrible. And then we will find out what that really means in our world, too. All right. So, from there on, we go and we meet the coolest guy ever, Puddle Glum. He is a cool guy. Describe to me Puddle Glum. He always expects the worst. Expects the worst. He's like a frog. Okay, he, he's what? Pessimistic. Pessimistic. That means everything is going to go wrong. Okay, he's like a frog. Now, frogs have their own beauty, but I don't know too many people who would say it is the most beautiful creature on earth. Okay, maybe, okay, but if you had a person with frog hands, and you wanted to shake hands with him? Kind of like, ugh. Not really. Kind of slimy. Haha, <laughs> I know you. Alright, what else do we know about what else do we know about him? He's the most positive person. <laughs> least positive, okay? I know you say that with tongue in cheek, right? He is the least positive person. Wasn't he like kicked out? He said that he was <laughs> yeah, right. So, but this is the funny thing, right? Amongst the other Marsh Wiggles, they, he was flighty, they said, right? Like, 
He wasn't grounded enough. He wasn't, he wasn't steady enough to, for the other Marshwiggles. They think he's just like this crazy guy, right? You're just, you're just so positive I can't stand you, right? And yet we look at him and we say, whoa, wow, you are, everything's wrong, you know? I probably won't catch any, uh, I probably won't catch any eels for us to eat anyways. And he comes back with a dozen of them. And if I do do that, well, you should have started the fire, but you probably don't know how to use the tinder kit and probably the wood's wet. And if you did get it started, it'd probably take too long. You'd probably get, probably get smoke in our eyes and we probably, all these things, right? And when you go, and if even if we did all of that and you got there and you ate that, You'd probably hate it anyways. And, and if you didn't hate it, it'd probably be poison for you. So, all right? So all of those things. Now, Puddle Glum, is he mean? Right? He's getting food for them, a place to stay. He goes with them, right? So I would say he's not mean. All right, he's, he's glum, okay. He's glum, but he is, he's kind of a wet blanket kind of guy, right? Everything's, right? He's kind of a wet blanket. And, but we find he's not mean, and he is going to go with them, right? I'm going to go with you. They all think he's not even going to go. But in his mind, he's already made up his mind. We're just going to go. I'm, of course I'm going with you. So he is faithful. Right? He's faithful in what he does. And also, he is thoughtful about everything. About the pathway we take, about the next step we do, about should I eat this, should I do this, who is it we're talking to, all the things, his mindset, the expecting the worst, the pessimistic, the least positive, makes him thoughtful because he is going through this could happen next, this could happen next, this could happen next. Now you can have a person who runs on anxiety. But he's not anxious, right? He's just steady. Well, the other Marshwiggles say that, and that's kind of as a joke, because the other Marshwiggles apparently are more pessimistic, and he's so crazy because he's not. He's too positive, too flighty. We never know what he's going to do, all right? So he's, and he says... I've got to go on this journey. Why do I have to go on this journey? Right, because this is probably some bad things are going to happen to me, and it's really going to ground me, okay? It's going to make me focus, and I'm not going to be flighty anymore after we go on this terrible, awful journey and almost die. I'm going to, I'm going to be just about where we need to be in life. So he's not a bad guy. In fact, he just wants to fit in. <laughs> well, I don't even know if he wants to fit in. I, only that he just doesn't want to be too flighty, okay? This is a person that's very interesting. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. And look at a good word for him. A good verse, really. 1 Peter... Chapter 5, verse number 8. We're going to stay in that chapter, but we're going to start with verse 8. Tucked just before Revelation, a couple of real small books before Revelation. First and second Peter, first and second, third John, Jude, Revelation, and all of that happens in about ten pages. First Peter. Once you find it, don't lose it. First Peter chapter number 
five, verse number eight. Keep keep looking for it if you don't have it yet. Sober. Be sober, be vigilant, because your advisory, the devil, is is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. All right. What is the opposite of sober? Drunk. Okay? When you are drunk, not that I expect anybody here would know, but when you are drunk, what do you lose? What you to think clearly, your senses, okay? So, would you be good at doing something very adept that might be dangerous at that moment? Probably not a good idea, okay? I wouldn't, you know, try to play with a weapon or something at the moment that you're drunk or something, okay? Because you're you're losing your senses. Now, opposite of that is sober. So, I have my senses about me. I have my senses about me. And instead of non-reasoning or cloudy reasoning, I have sharp reasoning. Right? I am most aware. I am aware. That's a good word too. I am most aware of what is going on around me. Why? Because that verse says, be sober, be vigilant, because your, that word is adversary, which means Enemy, yes, against you, your enemy, okay? Your adversary, Satan. He's going to devour you. He's walking around looking to devour you. So if you know that there is a lion in the bushes and you've got to get to the other side of the bushes, do you just run through while you're walking on looking at your phone or walk through? No, you go with your senses about you you listen, any rustling, any movement, you watch, any light reflecting changes, okay? You have sharp reasoning to say, I'm going to be careful not to go over there, I want to stay up into things, I want to do this, okay? The idea is that you are to be sober. Sober as a Christian. That's what I'd say is a good word. For Paraglam, he is sober. He has his senses about him. He has sharp reasoning. And he's very aware of things. Everything. He's aware that the wood could be damp. He's aware that all could happen. Does it all happen? Most of the time, no. Could it? Sure, it could. But it makes him, in his mind, be ready for anything. Okay? I'm not saying that everybody should be a wet blanket. But if you find a person who is sober thinking and sober minded about, they have sharp reasoning, they have their senses about them, they're good friends. Be careful to find those people in your life. Jill and Eustace, you will find, will need him many times, even though they think he's annoying. Because everything's always negative with you. And yet their positivity doesn't get them one ounce of a thing on this journey. In fact, their positivity will get them in trouble. Because they're not sober and they're not being aware or reasoning what could be happening. Alright? So Puddleglum is a great guy. Now... Skip back, I said in chapter 5, just a couple verses. What else is he like? Verse 5 and 6. This, I think, also might describe Puddle Glum. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all of you be one, be subject one to another, be clothed with humility, for God resists. Verse 6, please. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. All right. 
This is another thing that this wet blanket pessimist person, Puddle Glum is. He is humble. Now, he's not perfect, but he's humble. That means he doesn't believe that he can charge through any situation and make it. He believes that Aslan's on his side and he's going to make the next step. And if that's his last step, well, so be it. I'll have died a very steady marsh wiggle, okay? But he's not believing that he is better than anyone else. In fact, he's probably the wisest in the group of three travelers, right? But he does not think that he's better than other people. He does not act like it. He does not talk down to them. He's just trying to say, well, it's probably wet, and this is probably that, and this is probably that, and all these things are probably going wrong. Well, if we even make it, I shouldn't wonder. Alright? So, he's a very good person on this, and you, you'll find that his qualities shine as we get nearer to Prince Really. Alright? And what else is he? Well, skip ahead to verse 9 and 10. Let's read those two. Puddle Glum was a little right. Maybe going on a tough, long journey isn't a bad thing at all. Maybe going through some hardships are good because it says right there, after you have suffered a little while, God will make you perfect. He will establish you, which means like put roots down, right? He will strengthen you and he will settle you. Oh, take out the flightiness. Look at that. Those are godly qualities that you're not rattled. He's not easily rattled. Okay? He's not easily rattled. He is settled. This is God, and he takes me on a pathway, and I don't have a problem. Whichever way we go is fine. And if God chooses to take my life, that's okay. And if he chooses to get me there in a great victory, that's okay too. A different personality than Eustace, right? Way different than Jill as well, all right? So here he is. He is settled. He is steady. He is important in what happens, all right? So what happens next? Well, as we move on, we go through the giants, there's several giants coming up. Just like in the book of Joshua, who were the people afraid of when they got there? When they first got there, before the book of Joshua, we went back, Moses takes them up to the promised land, the spies go in and they say, there's giants, we can't do it. Our Christian life comes against many giants. Those giants take many forms. We're going to look at a couple different giants here. Next part of the book. They come up against the giants. Now, when they're, they're in the northern wastelands, which is just rocky, nasty, nothing growing, nothing anything. And they're walking up along a ravine. And on both sides of the ravine, they kind of have this, uh, there's these lumps and bumps and things all along here, okay? And there's rock piles, random rock piles all in here, okay? And here's Jill and Eustace and Puddleglum, okay? As they walk through, they're, they're walking through, and Puddleglum is saying, don't look, just move, just keep going. And they're a little not aware yet. And Jill all of a sudden looks off to the side and she says, Boy, those rocks almost look like they could be parts of people. And all of a sudden, one of them moves. 
and they are big giants that have blended into the rocks. And suddenly, over comes one, and bang! <laughs> rocks get thrown. Sorry, I hope I didn't wreck that. <laughs> rocks get thrown, okay, across their pathway. These giants are throwing rocks across their pathway. And Jill is, are they trying to hit us? And he says, oh no, if they were trying to hit us, we'd be in big trouble. These random rocks keep getting thrown across the pathway. So as you look at what is going on, what are we trying to learn from this? What are they doing? Well, he says, Puddle Glum says, because he's got a little wisdom, these giants are playing games. And what we're walking amongst are like piles of rocks. Kind of like at the fair when you take a softball and throw them at the milk bottles and try to knock the milk bottles over. They're playing this game where they're throwing rocks at these piles of rocks, trying to blow them up, all right? They're kind of dumb and unaware that you're there. And yet, there's a danger. One rock comes and smashes you, take, you you'll be gone. All in the name of a game. So I want you to think, just for a moment, as we translate into this world, back and forth from a spiritual world, from this picture of these giants. Rocks are constantly being thrown across your pathway. And if you're not careful, you might get smashed in the middle of a game. What could this be for us in our life? What kind of giants could this be? Think about this. Think about the entertainment industry. Huge. Constantly going on. It's filled with TV and movies, computer things on the internet, all sorts of stuff that you can get your hands on when you're on the web. Okay? From games to anything else. Now they throw those games out there and they're not building them specifically for you. But if they happen to catch you, yeah. anything that draws your attention away from God, you must be aware of. If there are giants out in the world and they and it is dangerous to cross this pathway, and yet we can't get through life without being all around these giants. We just must be aware of them. Now, do you know that you can get sucked in to habits, right? With any kind of thing. But the internet's probably the biggest thing for most people now. Internet is easy to get on, and how much time could you spend there? Hours, right? And how much does it feel like? Minutes. And what did you accomplish? Nothing. For real. You might have won the next level of a game. And I'm not saying a game is bad. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying be aware of the big giants in the land that you might get squashed it's not out there specifically for you. It's not like they're aiming at your head to get you. But they're playing games all along. And they play games. And if, they, if you happen to get hit by one of the big ones, it can really get you. Okay? Be aware of getting sucked into the things that draw you away from God. And take your time. Suck your time away. Alright? We have to walk them. They're all around us. You have to be able to just learn how to avoid them. And I don't just mean that you never can be on 
a computer. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is learn how to have discretion and to have self-control. Uh, and it's not easy, but it's necessary for all of us at all ages. It doesn't matter who we are, all right? That's one kind of giant. And then they walk along, all right? So let me look, let's look at 1 John. If you're still in 1 Peter, now just skip along 1 John, which is just a couple pages more. 1 John 2, chapter 15, chapter 2, verse 15, 16, and 17, please. As we finish up the rock giants, what is this about? 15, 16, and 17, chapter 2, please. Alright, so just be aware of what you love most. Alright, because if you love the things of this world, it says the world will go away. But if you love God, that will be forever. Okay, that's forever. There's lust in this life. Lust meaning anything you want now and can't wait for it. Doesn't matter what it is. You can lust after anything. Lust of the eyes. I want it because I see it. Lust of the flesh. I want it because it makes me feel good. Or the pride of life. And the pride is a little different thing. That is something that takes us down how we react to others. Okay? Be aware that we don't get hit by those rocks that are just randomly being thrown and taken down in our life. By one of those big rocks. Okay? So, along Puddle Glum goes, they finally get through the giants, they go down, they go Puddle Glum, and the two kids meet up with two mounted people on horseback. One is a knight, dressed in black, head to toe, never says a word, never takes up his face shield. Puddle Glum is very suspicious of him, in fact, says, You don't even know if there's a real person in there. Okay? And then a lady in a beautiful green flowing dress. And they are not suspicious from, of her. The kids, she is so beautiful. And it says her horse is so cute. You want to feed it a sugar cube. You just look at this thing. It's just, I just want to feed this thing. I, I want to do that. And this is the Lady of the Green Kirtle, okay? This is her title. She speaks to them, and the knight never says a word. She speaks directly to them all. Where are you going? Of course, Jill's like, oh, we're going to do this, and we're on the way to do this, and we'd rather do this, and this is what we're doing next. Puddleglum's like, no, 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 stop. Don't say a word. You don't know who she is. He's wise. He's saying, stop, and be aware, there might be more than you think there is here. Take care, okay? And then she says, we're headed to the, the, the ruins of the giant city. Oh, I've heard of that. No one's ever really found that. It's going to be something. But where you should really go is to this place called Harfang. That is a city filled with giants, and you'll have food and clothes and hot baths there. Oh, it's going to be amazing, but you got to hurry and get there before they shut the gates at night. Hurry and get there. And in Puddle Glum's mind, he's saying, we don't need to hurry. There's no purpose in hurrying. And in Jill and Eustace, they're saying, hot bed, big food. I'm exhausted, I need a bath, 
Can't wait to get there. They can't think of anything else. I need it, and I need it now, right? It's the lust of the flesh, right? I need it, and I need it now. I don't care what we do. And puddle glum is much more steady. We'll get there when we get there. Let's work there. We'll make sure we're going to stay. If we've got to stay out on, on the plains another night, we'll stay out on the plains another night. No, 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 we're hurrying. We've got to get there before dark. We've got to go. Off rides the lady. Says, tell them the lady of the green kernel sent to you. And then they'll give you a great welcome to their autumn feast. So on the way they go. It's quite a journey up. They find the city. And on the way, they fall into a big hole. Jill falls into a big hole. And ends up being kind of a strange shape, this hole. She ends up getting out of it. It's a big, huge cavern that they're kind of in. They get out and they end up headed up towards that city. Remember this. All they could think about was the warm bed and the food. Not bad. Meanwhile, they fell right into the hole that is another sign. And they miss it. Because they can't think of anything else. They argue, they fight over the next while because they want to get to that city. That is where we stop the movie. The gates of the castle, Harfang. We will pick that up next week and we will go on and see where they take off, what they do, what choices they make. We'll be watching the movie next week, so please try to be here uh, as early as you can be. Uh, we'll probably start as soon as we can, right after 6.30. Uh, thank you very much.